but we know it's a trap. But we don't know it's an ocean. Hello and welcome to the Newton Knowledge Podcast. My name is Mark Singer, partner of Newton One Advisors, and I'm joined by our managing partner, Steve Target. The Newton Knowledge Podcast will provide meaningful content to our valued advisor community, which is estate planners, CPAs, wealth managers, and financial planners. Our discussions will deliver unique insights into the people, processes, and products that make our industry so critical. Newton One is a national life insurance planning firm delivering customized solutions structured to help clients and their advisors engaged in solving estate planning, wealth transfer, business succession, and executive benefits challenges. We are a member of the M Financial Group, which grants our clients access to the nation's elite carriers and exclusive products only available through our network. Today, we have Bob Finnegan, Vice President of M Financial's Advanced Planning Team. He's responsible for providing advanced planning for support to M member firms, attorneys, accountants, family offices, and institutions. Mr. Finnegan has spent his 45 plus year career in the life insurance and wealth transfer industries, the majority as an estate planning attorney devoted to protecting and transferring wealth for high net worth and ultra affluent net worth individual and business clients. He has been published in a number of highly regarded national newsletters, journals, and trade magazines, and is serving on the Insurance Committee of Trust and Estates magazine. To no further ado, Bob Vigan, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Mark. I'm, ha- I'm glad to be here. Hey, Bob, this, um, the inspiration for today's uh, podcast is also found it in the, uh, a recent uh, paper that you published. Is that, where, where was the document published? Yeah, I published uh, an article on what I call the Grat Enhancement Strategy in Trust in the States magazine. Uh, and I kid that as uh, being on the insurance committee, one of my obligations is once a year, they uh, they twist my arm and, and beat an article out of me. So that was that was what I did last year, but it's a, it's a topic that I'm really passionate about. I think it's a really powerful strategy. The article was was great, and uh, as well as the the presentation you provided with some of our our colleagues at the the M marketing meeting, and and just for our audience for for what GRAT stand for uh, Grantor Retained Annuity Trust. That's right, and it's a it's a wealth transfer strategy uh, that's designed to move wealth at a discount. And if you want, I'll take a minute and and walk through the basic GRAT strategy and how it works. That would be great. So basically, a client will. Uh, transfer assets, and it could be a closely held business interest or commercial real estate, or it could even be cash or uh, other assets. And the client places those assets in a grant, which is a special kind of trust. And under the terms of that trust, the grantor is going to receive income back from the asset for a term of years. Let's I'm going to use 10 in the examples that we're going to use today. And at the end of the 10 years, if the grantor is still alive, Whatever is left in the trust transfers out to a trust for the benefit of children. And I call that a GRAT remainder trust, or those assets may go directly to the children. So either in trust, a GRAT remainder trust, or directly to the uh, children. And in my experience, most of the time, the assets do go into a GRAT remainder trust that may may, um, remain in trust for the lifetime of the children. And then those assets are ultimately taxed in the children's estate. Now, because the grantor has retained the right to receive income back from that asset over those 10 years, the value of the gift for wealth transfer purposes is well less than the value of the asset. So if client were contributing $10 million of assets into this grant, 
and based on a 6% or $600,000 payment back to the grantor each year, and that payment is fixed, the value of that asset is reduced for wealth transfer purposes. So it might be valued at $6 million or $7 million, and there actually are IRS tables that value that asset. So the basic value of this, Brad, is that you can transfer an asset out of the estate into a trust for the children at a, at a substantial discount. You can actually, when you set up the grant, you control how much income the grantor is going to get back. And the more income that the grantor gets back, the lower value of the asset that's transferred. So it can even get to the point where you can actually zero out the value of the gift. Now, that means that the grantor is going to take back more into his estate and the income payment each year, but it's, it's reduced the value of the gift uh, in some cases to zero. If you're contemplating doing this type of planning, what are some of the concerns a grantor should be aware of? So there are basically two negatives to the grant or two risks to the grant. The first is if the grantor dies during the term of the grant. So in our 10-year example, if the grantor dies within that 10-year period before the grant completes, those assets are brought back into the grantor's estate. Right? So that's a pretty significant risk. And there's different strategies, the way grants are structured to minimize that risk. Uh, the other negative is that those assets only pass to the children. And as I mentioned earlier, those assets are going to ultimately be taxed in the children's estates. Now, for high net worth and especially ultra high net worth clients, a lot of times they'll be want to do planning with a dynasty trust. And that's a multi-generational trust that can go on for hundreds or even thousands of years and not be subject to the transfer taxes, the gift to state generation skipping transfer taxes. So the GRAT, although it's a very powerful wealth transfer strategy, it only moves it one generation. So you don't get that multi-generation benefit of a dynasty trust. So you brought up dynasty trusts. Are there additional trusts that this type of planning could be implemented with, or is it solely just GRATs and, and in turn somewhat dynasty trusts? Yeah, well, a lot of times, uh, a lot of the planning the clients will do, for example, even if they're just using their lifetime gift exemption, uh, which was 12.92 and it's up to something like $13.6 million for 2024. So that's a lifetime amount. So when clients are gifting, the ultra high net worth clients can typically gift those assets into a dynasty trust. And once they're moved outside of their taxable estate into the dynasty trust, they're outside the gift estate and GST tax tax provisions for hundreds or thousands of years. And so there's an obvious benefit. If you looked at uh, if assets are transferred to the children, they're taxable in the children's estate, and then the children transfer them to their children, they're taxable in the, those children or grandchildren's estate. There's a diminishment of assets over the years. And it's, it's actually more like a saw blade. It, if you think of it, the assets grow and grow and grow in the children's estate, then they get hit by this 40, 50% estate taxes and they drop significantly, then they grow over the next generation's lifetime and drop it by another 40, 50% estate tax and so on. And by transferring assets into a dynasty trust, you avoid that repeat uh, estate taxation of the assets. So over time, it, it just builds substantial wealth and, and protect the family wealth. Are there certain states that are that have more favorable laws or regulations with regard to dynasty trusts? Yeah, definitely. Um, the top two that come to mind are Nevada and uh, Wyoming. Any dynasty trust is subject to 
the state laws in which the trust is formed and administered. Each state has what's called a rule against perpetuities. And traditionally, a rule against perpetuities, this was almost uniform across most states, uh, would allow a trust to last for about 100 or maybe 120 years. Within the last, I'd say, 15 years, states have changed their rule against perpetuities, and every state has a different rule now. And some states, as you mentioned, are more favorable than others. So, for example, in Nevada, I think a trust can last 360 years, somewhere around that, which is which is pretty ridiculous. If you think about if you created a, a trust in something like uh, 1640 and just be maturing now and being subject to uh, state taxes or transfer taxes, it's quite a long time. And I believe in the case of Wyoming that the trust could last. It's It's indefinite. There's no limit on the rule against perpetuities for Wyoming. So those states tend to also have a lot of other very favorable uh, laws. And typically to be in a, a jurisdiction to have a, so for example, a, a client in uh, New York might want to create a trust in Wyoming. And there's, so they need to have a Wyoming trustee to give it that situs to establish the situs for the trust. Yeah. So I guess where we're going with this is this this can be a pretty powerful estate planning tool, but you've identified another opportunity that, that may be overlooked by a lot of planners. Is it possible for us to maybe run through a, a case study or, or go through some numbers where we might demonstrate what how you've thought through some solutions? Yeah, let me let me just first and, and I'll start at a very high level, then we'll get into a case study what I call the GRAT enhancement strategy. Um, originally, I, I was calling it GRAT rescue, but grants that have successfully completed, in other words, the grantor has lived to the end of the 10 years in my example, and has successfully transferred assets into those children's trusts. Those, and that's our focus. We're gonna focus on successful grants. Those grants don't need rescuing. They're, they're successful. They accomplished what they intended to. They transferred wealth with little or uh, minimized gift tax consequences. And so they've, they've been very successful and, and done the job they were expected to do. But there's more that can be done. And a lot of times clients want to do more, but they don't want to dip into their own pocket. They can actually take use these grant assets, and this would be up to the trustee of the remainder trust, and that trustee can use those assets to fund life insurance in a dynasty trust. So in other words, we're going to take the appreciation of those successful grad assets and move that appreciation into a dynasty trust. And we do that with either a loan or another type of split dollar plan that's going to be a premium advance. But we're going to focus on the loan for now just because it's more easily understood. And, and I think it's also, and there's a lot of nuance to this and every, every situation is different. So I don't want to make this sound like it's too simple because you really have to look at each situation to determine whether this approach works, whether it has the right type of assets and how we're going to structure it in the most favorable way. Very general, if you can lend assets to a dynasty trust and use those loaned assets to buy life insurance, and also use those loan assets to ultimately repay the loan, we've moved all this appreciation via the life insurance policy into a dynasty trust. And again, and as is well known, life insurance death proceeds are income tax free. So it's given an extra jump start uh, to the transaction. Whereas over the many years of a dynasty trust, most of those assets, they, they're gonna be invested in taxable investments and those are gonna, taxes are gonna be paid. But one of the benefits of the life insurance is that 
we're starting out with a tax-free pool of money to get that dynasty trust rolling. As we're talking about that loan, what are some of the the, the risks to that loan? I, I, and the one that comes to mind for me is is um, potentially increasing AFR rates. I, I guess you know you would yeah. look at where the rates are and whether the midterm rates are are competitive compared to long term, and they're, yeah, they're actually, very close these days. They're they're very close these days, and in fact, there've been inversions. And a, and a short term loan is a loan that's between three and nine years, and and then a loan over nine years is a long term loan. And there's a each month the IRS publishes what are called the applicable federal rates, and you have a short term for a loan less than three years, midterm for three to nine years, and long term rates for greater than nine years. And typically the midterm rate is lower than the long term rate, although now they're very close and there have actually been inversions where the midterm rate's been higher, which is counterintuitive. Uh, but at any rate, I always recommend using a long term rate and and i'll come back to why in a second but so right now if you did a transaction in december of 2023 the long-term afr is 5.03 percent so the reason that the loan regime strategy works of lending assets to the dynasty trust is if the assets that are invested can produce a rate of return that's greater than that 5.03 percent and that excess is used to fund the life insurance so obviously, it's it's much higher to get a seven and eight percent return in order to generate sufficient cash to fund the life insurance premiums and repay the loan. So that's a bit of a, a drawback right now. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll mention as a very brief aside is if the remainder trust can transfer assets that can be discounted, you can actually get a lot more leverage and you can actually create a differential between the loan rate and what the assets are earning that's very favorable. So this transaction, if you have a closely held business interest or commercial real estate, and if if the uh, remainder trust transfers a minority interest in one of those assets, you can get discounts. And you can end up creating a spread between what the assets are earning and what the loan rate is being charged. And that would probably be a topic for, for another another one of these sessions but there is still a lot of life left in a uh, loan regime. So it's not as harsh as it sounds with that 5.03% loan rate. Yeah, discounting those assets just creates greater leverage, I suppose. And if, if you're looking at a long-term rate and a long-term then investment uh, yield from whatever that asset is, e- even at a 5% long-term AFR right now, one would assume that, that you're gonna hopefully obtain a, a greater rate of return in that asset than the AFR. And the longer the period of time, the lower the risk. So if you're if you're looking at a midterm, a, a seven, eight year, even six year time horizon, the risk is much higher because you have to achieve the, the rate of return on that asset versus a 15 or 20 or 30 year. And then buying life insurance over a 15, 20, 30 year period of time paying those premiums means a lower premium per year, which, which then kind of mitigates some of the, the risk as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And that's one of the reasons that I always use want to use a long-term AFR. Because one of the benefits of a, what we call a loan regime or a split dollar loan is that you can do lifetime term loans. So when we design these programs, we'll, we might design it with a 20-pay policy and design the loan to be repaid in 20 years. And it might require a 7% re- rate of return, annual rate of return, over those 20 years. 
you know, I, I prefer lower rates for designing these, but one of the beauties, if you've designed it, be repaid in 20 years, and now you get to the end of those 20 years and you don't have enough to repay the loan. Well, because we've designed this as a, even though we've designed it be repaid in 20 years, we've made the agreement for a lifetime loan. So you can let that loan just continue to run and build up. And now if you've already paid all the 20 premiums required on the policy, then you don't have the drain of premiums on those investments going forward. And ultimately you'll have enough uh, to repay the loan. So that it really provides a great deal of flexibility by, by uh, implementing a lifetime term loan. Let's think positively here, not projecting, but hoping perhaps. Hope's not a strategy, but Positivity is. Positivity. <laughs> if AFR rates do go down in the future, we can also renegotiate the loan, can't we? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You could essentially refinance the loan at the, at the lower AFR. Are there other ways to implement this strategy without the use of life insurance? And if so, how do they compare? The, one of the beauties of, of the loan regime, and it's true of the other form of split dollar that we use in these situations as well, is that it's it's statutory. It's the, the rules for loans, split dollar loans, are in the regulations. Okay? So we have a very set, clear set of guidelines. Now, you could also do what's called a code section 7872, or sometimes called an intrafamily loan. And that's not under the split dollar regulations, it's under code section 7872. And those rules aren't anywhere near as flexible. But a client could lend other assets to the dynasty trust, could just lend the assets without buying the life insurance, essentially. But unfortunately, the rules for 7872 are just not as favorable as the loan regime regulations. For example, the 7872 loans, most attorneys limit the loan to less than the client's life expectancy at the time of the loan. So if you've got a 65-year-old client and they want to make a loan, they're probably the attorney's probably going to do a 20 or maybe a little bit longer loan uh, with those assets. Whereas with the life insurance, again, we can do a lifetime term loan, which provides a great deal more flexibility. Also, with a 7872 loan, there's a number of requirements that the loan has to meet in order to qualify as a loan for federal tax purposes. And so you have to charge interest. Um, You'd still be using the AFR rates, but the interest is going to need to be paid. You need to document the loan. There's a lot more stringent requirements around the loan. Uh, whereas when you're under the loan regime rules, in addition to being able to doing lifetime loans, you can also accrue loan interest. So the regulations clearly allow this. And the, the power of accruing interest rather than paying interest in cash is pretty substantial over time. And the way to think about that is if, if you have a loan that's charging 5% and your assets are earning 7%, why repay a 5% obligation with a 7% asset? It just doesn't make sense. So we can let that interest accrue for the lifetime of the loan, which makes a big difference in the amount that you need to fund uh, repayment of the loan ultimately. One of the other additional benefits of the lifetime term loan is you could let it run for life and end up using the death benefit to repay the loan. So if you've used discounted assets and lent those to the, to the dynasty trust, and those assets do very well, it's a successful business or piece of commercial real estate and it's growing in value, and you don't wanna cash that out to, to create funds to repay the loan, you can just let the loan be repaid upon the death of the insureds. 
What other sorts of assets? You mentioned uh, business interest, I presume in a privately held business, commercial, real estate. What other assets can be loaned? Yeah, well, cash. Yeah. Uh, cash is king. You can always lend cash. Uh, there aren't going to be any discounts on cash, although there might be if you put it in a, in a limited liability company for planning purposes. Also, you could lend a portfolio of marketable securities. I'm not going to get into all the nuances because there's a few different combinations, but we always want to do loan transactions with a grantor trust. If we have generation one, so this is the generation with the wealth, and they created the grant. And let's say that that grant remainder trust is what's called a grantor trust. And what that means is for income tax purposes, the grantors still own those assets, which means they pay the tax on trust earnings, trust investments. Now, that sounds like a bad thing on the surface, but it's really a good thing because it, it means that those trust assets grow undiminished by income taxes. Uh, if, the, if the trust had to pay the taxes, instead of earning a 10% return, they might be earning a 7% return after tax. And so you can see by the grantor paying those taxes, the assets in the trust grow and more wealth is transferred. Now, the other benefit of a grantor trust is that if the grantor makes a loan to that trust, a loan is under income tax rules, the loan interest that's paid or accrued back to the grantor is not taxable. So now if we take that one step further, uh, if our grant remainder trust is a grantor trust with respect to the initial grantors who created the grant, and then the dynasty trust is a grantor trust with respect to those same grantors. So I'll call that generation one. So the remainder trust, the grantor, and the dynasty trust are all the same person for tax purposes, meaning the grantor pays the tax. Now, where that comes in and is important in this transaction is when the grant remainder trust makes a loan to the dynasty trust, it's just the grantor making a loan to himself. So for income tax purposes, the loan interest that's accruing on that loan to fund the life insurance is not creating taxable income back to the grantor. Well, the other advantage, I suppose, is that the grantor that's paying the tax on any growth of the investment inside of the trust is also effectively reducing their taxable estate. Absolutely. Yeah, great. That's a really good point. So I'd like to walk through a simple uh, example. And let's say back in 2010, now these are very successful clients. They have a family business, might be a second generation business, or it might have been this is first generation. But at any rate, in 2010, the clients uh, created a 10-year grant. And they funded it with $25 million. And their attorney advised them that you can, as we mentioned earlier, you can zero out that grant. And now they're going to transfer closely held business interest. So that's going to be discountable. We're going to assume that was discounted at 30%. So it looks like the assets that are being contributed to the grant are not worth $25 million, but they're worth $17.5 million. Now, if that grant pays the grantor, $1.67 million each year for 10 years, that would zero out the gift to the grant. That would be around uh, a 10% return on the $17.5 million. But on the underlying value of $25 million, that's about a 6% return or 6% cash flow. And that was, and so at the end of the 10 years, that grant would have successfully transferred $16.8 million. So in December of 2020, let's say it was 
initially done in, in December of 2010. In December of 2020, that was successfully transferred $16.8 million. And then over the uh, intervening three years, let's say those assets grew to $20 million. So now we've the clients have successfully transferred $20 million in a grant remainder trust for the benefit of the children. And that grant remainder trust is a grantor trust, so the grantors are paying the income taxes on trust earnings. So now the clients, G1, they've been very successful in the interim. The business has continued to flourish. Um, they only transferred a portion of the business in the grant. And over the years, over the 10 years, they've done other planning, moving assets to their children. So now they're the attorney has advised them that they need an additional $25 million of survivorship. And let's say that the clients are a couple of 60 year olds at this point in time, but they're kind of, they've got planning fatigue. Um, over the last three years, there've been a lot of threatened changes to the tax laws and the estate tax laws. And the clients have done a lot of planning and, and they've really, they're really a bit tired of it, but they understand the need for more insurance and, and the risk. The other thing is they've moved a lot of assets out of their own pocket. And if they, the attorney explains, well, we have this strategy called the grant enhancement strategy where we can lend the assets that you've transferred to your children through the grant to a dynasty trust. And that dynasty trust is going to then buy the $25 million of life insurance. So the clients find this really attractive because they, they don't have to be really involved in the process other than signing some forms. Uh, they're not dipping into money out of their own pocket. And the other thing that's really kind of one of those little more subtle points is when they move the $20 million into the grant remainder trust, that's really just asset that's been put there for their children. But now we're taking those assets and we're using it to buy $25 million of new life insurance in the dynasty trust. And not only are we moving wealth into a dynasty trust, but now we've converted some of those successfully transferred grad assets into life insurance that can be used at the client's death to help pay their estate taxes. So whereas that $20 million that just went into the grad remainder trust for the children, it really wasn't going to be used to pay estate taxes on the client. Now we've converted it or transformed it into life insurance that can be used to pay estate taxes on the client's estate. So it's something that a lot of clients that this strategy will they'll find to be very attractive. Bob, with the legislative sunset coming in a few years, um, I can only see discussions and considerations around this planning increasing. Would you would you say the same? Yes. Yeah. And in a lot of these clients that we're dealing with, they've already fully used their their lifetime gift exemptions, which is, again is something in the neighborhood of thirteen point six million dollars per individual. So a husband and wife have, have uh, $27.2 million of gift capacity. Don't, don't hold me to that number. I'm going from memory, but it's somewhere in that range. But a lot of these ultra high net worth clients have already used up all their lifetime exemptions, and they're looking for other strategies to move wealth. And this is one that can be very attractive. And one of the things I really like about this strategy is clients have transferred billions upon billions. I mean, there's there's individual clients who have transferred $8 billion in grants. So there's a lot of grant money out there. Now, because grants are statutory, they're blessed in the, the uh, tax code, the attorneys have really liked them as a wealth transfer strategy. So now, again, this strategy can be used to further enhance 
the grant planning and it's being done with a loan regime or economic benefit regime split dollar rules that are both creatures of the regulations of the tax regulations. So again, the tax code outlines the rules regarding these transactions. Bob, this has been very informative. Uh, we appreciate your time. Before we close out, is there anything else you would like to add or anything we missed that you want to you wanna add on to this discussion? It's a great strategy, but it may not be for everybody. But it starts a conversation, although this strategy may not be the best one. There are other ones that are. Uh, nonetheless, I think for a lot of clients, this is really a very powerful strategy. And they don't need to use their own funds. Um, it's going to move wealth into a much more tax-protected environment. And it's using life insurance, which has a number of favorable tax benefits, as well as the rules surrounding its funding with uh, economic benefit and loan regime split dollar. Thanks, Bob. We'll have your, your article um, the grad enhancement accessible within the bio of this episode. So those that want to do a, a, an even deeper dive on this this concept, they can they can go right ahead and and dive into your article, which again is super detailed and great. Right, and and um, Mark, I'll also offer you know if you have uh, clients or advisors who'd like to discuss this in, in person, you know I'd be happy to get on a call with them as well. Thanks, Bob. Material and opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what is appropriate for you, please contact a member of our team.